Welcome to See You Next Tuesday. I'm Jade Chung. One of the best feelings in the world is finding yourself in a magazine. It makes you say to yourself, "Wow, like I'm doing it. I I made it. Like I'm 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 doing this wrestling thing and I'm in a magazine and not just any magazine, but the Pro Wrestling Illustrated PWI magazine." I am so thankful and grateful that I've had a couple spreads in there, and it's all thanks to my friend Dan Murphy. Very, very, very early in my career, probably the first year, or maybe even the first six months of my career, Dan had reached out and asked me if he could do his 10 questions with. Teenage me, you know, I was in my head, I was jumping and screaming. And of course, I was so excited, right? Like an editor, a writer just contacted me to do a little tidbit on me. So I was over the moon happy. And then another article was when I hosted the Ring of Honor after party at my sports bar, the Champions Den, when they were here in Toronto. And that was back in 2009. And I think I would see like just pictures here and there. I don't know if there was any articles written. I wish I paid more um, attention uh, during my time in Ring of Honor. Like I'm sure there was like pictures from the whole embassy. I wish I paid attention just so I could have all that memorabilia. But I have the two magazines that I was in and that makes me so happy. I'm so excited to bring on the man behind all of the amazing PWI articles and PWI rankings. Everyone, please welcome my good friend, Dan Murphy. Dan, how are you? I am doing great. Thank you very much for having me. This is is very cool. Congratulations on this new uh, podcast venture. Oh, thank you. I was just, um, well, we were just talking a little bit earlier and... And just saying how nervous I am (laughs) because this was like your position. You're the interviewer. You're the person who does this. And so I'm nervous because now I feel like uh, there's so much pressure. (laughs) Yeah, you should be because I'm going to suppress everything you do. No, don't do that. Yeah, you're off to a bad start anyway, but go ahead. Oh, I hate you. (laughs) Just kidding. Can never, can never. Well, let's go back to the very first time that we met. Okay. Do you actually remember? I do. Absolutely. I was surprised that you did. So I was, I was waiting to see if you did, but uh, yeah, (laughs) it was the uh, night of appreciation for Sabu show uh, in Michigan, in Belleville, Michigan, maybe. Yes. For the Diamondback. Yeah. 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 For Diamondback. Um, wow. I didn't realize it was the appreciation night for Sabu. Yeah. But I remember talking to you by the wall and, um, you paid me my very first compliment. So that's something that I've never forgotten. Is that true? Really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. (laughs) Managing was like, you know, everything for me. So for, someone like yourself, especially, um, coming to me and, you know, just giving me a compliment. Like I was just, I I, I was in heaven. (laughs) 
I, I'm glad. Now, do you remember what I said? Oh, I can't remember ah, word for word. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of do. I, I mean, do not you? necessarily word for word, but I remember the thought I had. And even thinking, like, if, if possible, I want to make sure I, I say hello to you before I, I left. And um, it was because you were managing A1, I think. I don't know who he was working, but it was maybe the second, first or second match on the show. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of a so-so match. You know, A1, he was a heck of an athlete, but not the most charismatic guy at that stage of his career. Mm-hmm. Um, but you had this persona and this presence outside the ring that I thought was just incredible because you just had the, the crowd and uh, you you were involved in the match. You, you, you paid the right amount of attention to the crowd to keep them invested but never made yourself the focus. You, you kind of kept the focus on the ring and of the, the four people in the match, you know, the, the two guys and the referee and you, I believe you were the one that added the most, I thought just because of your, your presence. And I wanted to kind of say that um, because, and then to find out that you were still n- so new into the business at that point. Um, I just thought, wow, this is a real natural. She's got a real, uh, a real head for the business, a real talent. So I'm glad that I uh, was able to stop you at that show and then let you know that. Oh my God. Like even now <laughs> I, feel, I feel such, I feel like a dork, but like I have the biggest smile. Just, just hearing that like, Dan, thank you so much that you, you have no idea how much that means to me. And although I didn't remember it word for word, just listening to it now, it just, oh, it, it has, <sighs> like a bigger meaning to it. Like I did before, but like now, because I still love, you know, I still love wrestling so much and, you know, I'm not doing any of it right now, but obviously I miss managing. I miss doing that. I miss being out there with like a crazy personality. So it truly, truly means a lot that you saw that in me. So thank you so much, Dan. Yeah, no problem. I mean, I, I'm it's, blushing. I'll oh, stop it. <laughs> See, we, that's the way you start off the interview. You get somebody, the interviewer feeling good, and now it's all downhill from here. See, that's the trick of the trade. Okay, let's talk pro wrestling illustrated. Yes. How long were you with them for? I was with PWI for 22 years, uh, from 97. Uh, I, Basically, I got a job. Well, I, I got my first freelance article shortly after college, and it became an ongoing thing. And I just kept writing for them. Um, and, and over time, it went from just you know doing an article or two to doing. In the beginning, we had uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, Sports Review Wrestling was still around, I think, Inside Wrestling, and The Wrestler, and we would occasionally have like these specials. And I was doing like four or five articles for each of those magazines every month. So I was just doing a ton of stuff. And then it got to the point where I became a a senior writer. They kind of gave me a a little bit of a position um, and then took over eventually doing the PWI 500 and the female 50, which became the women's 100. And it just kind of gradually, I took on more and more responsibility with the magazine, but it just came from uh, me contacting the magazine right out of college uh, I wanted wow. to do a story. Um, UFC was going to run an event up in New York state. And at the time, uh, eventually they banned it. It was banned for years until a few years ago. 
And what they wanted to do was the legislature wanted to make all the fighters wear gloves and get rid of certain strikes and things. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a crossover with some pro wrestlers doing UFC. So I called PWI, said, I know that you don't normally uh, cover UFC, but this is kind of unique. I can get photos. Would you be interested in a story? Uh, And then the event got canceled or actually moved to Alabama. Uh, So I had to call back and be like, now there goes my opportunity. Damn, yeah. But then the publisher says, you know, it sounds like you know your stuff. How about you send me some clips? And then I was kind of off and running. Wow. That's cool. And so, like, did you, so with the PWI 500, did you come up with the PWI Women's 50? Yeah. Yeah, that was my idea. Um, I pitched it for a little while. And uh, at first... Uh, Stu Sachs, the publisher, uh, was kind of resistant because he didn't think that there were 50 quality women in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And the idea was we wanted to kind of limit it for the U.S. in the beginning. Uh, mm-hmm. It's funny because the, the female 50 women's 100 is around for 10 or 11 years now. And if you go back 10 or 11 years, WWE was still doing the Divas division with three minute matches and more bikini contests than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, the knockouts were doing great stuff in, in TNA. Um, but the world, like stardom didn't exist in Japan. Uh, no one was really following. It, a, a lot of Japanese and Joshi wrestling wasn't on the radar for the average American fan. So the idea of coming up with, you know, if you're doing the female 50, you'd have somebody like Kelly Kelly, like number 30. And then there were mm-hmm. still 20 other spots to fill, you know, mm-hmm. and not, not to take a shot at Kelly Kelly, but she wasn't Luthez, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of kind of kept fighting for it, especially when Shimmer came on the, the scene and uh, pointed out to Stu Sachs, like, look, there are this many women on the American independence. It's just that they're not on national TV. And he eventually relented and uh, we did it. Uh, the first issue, he, he thought, you know, if it sells well, we'll make this an annual thing. And it didn't sell well at all. Like it bombed. It was like Mm. the audience wasn't ready for women's wrestling, uh, not as a cover story of the magazine or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Stu decided to try it again the next year. And it gradually picked up and picked up and it became what it is today. So wow, you showed some faith in it. And uh, even though the initial sales were were weak, it definitely got better. Mm -hmm. Do you know if it's still like the 50? No, a couple of years ago, we bumped it up to the women's 100. Mm-hmm. And okay. uh, yes. I, again, I did all of the ranking on that and all the research and a lot of times contacting all the different women to try to, because we need to run a photo with everybody. Right. It's not possible for the 500, but if we're doing a hundred women, I thought, you know, that because there's something, the women, it's not just their, their look, but each woman has, you know, their colors and their look and their gimmick. And it's not just, you know, it, it can be so vital to who they are. Mm-hmm. And I thought that, you know, if we're going to do a hundred, we ought to find a way to lay it all out where we have photos for everybody that obviously yeah. can't do that with a 500, but with 100, mm-hmm. we did, but it's tough because you have to track down the photos and you have to make sure that they're, you know, w- inevitably we'd run a photo and one of the girls would get back to me and be like, Oh, that's my old gear. I wish we'd use this. I wish my car, come on, you know? Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So it was, it was always tough, but it always made me so happy once that issue came out. Uh, because it was kind of my baby, you know? So when it came mm-hmm. out and I flipped through it and it would be like, okay, you know, we, 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 we did it another year. It's still there. So. All right. So like be real. Okay. Yeah. Cause it's me. You're talking to <laughs> <laughs> how much crap 
would you get from people, fans, wrestlers, just about rankings alone? Like, would you get like a crap ton of emails about this? No, not a crap ton. Um, but it's weird. You, you know, so you'd always get like on Reddit and everything, you'd have fans be like, oh, these guys don't know what they're doing. And what and then they list like their opinion of what the top 20 should be, or what you're like, well, that's ridiculous. You know, this guy's an idiot, you know. And what we, we always try to, and no one's ever going to agree completely, but we, we try to explain with each issue and consider there's like a 500 word opening before we get to the rankings of like how we put together the rankings and the rankings are based on their accomplishments over the previous 12 months. It's how many titles they've won, their success in their main company, kind of, kind of where their push is. So we're not looking to give the award to the best worker. I mean, the best worker could be somebody who's doing opening matches because that's where they're slotted in their company. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, it's wrestling. It's, you know, that's how it is. We look at the person who's kind of had the most impact in their company over the past 12 months. So I remember the one year for the PWI 500. And I remember this, that year I drove down to Philadelphia for the editorial meeting because uh, I was based in my, my home of Buffalo. And uh, once a year I would go down or twice a year and, and visit with Stu and some of the staff. And we'd have an editorial meeting to start the 500. And the whole drive down, I was thinking, somebody's got to talk me out of this, but I think Miz is going to be number one in the 500. And it was that year that Miz went into WrestleMania as the WWE champion, and he won. And he was on NXT and SmackDown and Raw and had all... It's like he nobody over the past 12 months had a better year. And he's not mm. the best wrestler, but like that's the criteria. So, yeah, we you know, I'd get blowback. I'd get some people on, on Reddit, but what really bugged me, uh, there were a couple times uh, when when it was wrestlers who would be like, ah, I don't I don't pay attention to it because it's all a work. And number one, <laughs> number one, those are the same wrestlers who are emailing me like, hey Dan, how do I get into the five hundred? What do I have to send? Whatever. And it's like, okay, dude, like, I know that it's just some writer's subjective list or whatever, but I spent three months of the year doing this and compiling it. And then like these guys kind of crap on it and whatever, especially when I know that they are like trying to get in it and trying to, you know, um, and the other thing is the idea of calling it a work uh, always drove me nuts because wrestling's a work, you know, wrestling itself isn't real. It, it, everybody <laughs> plays a role. Everybody does this. And we're, we're putting over the guys who play roles. We're working side by side, you know? So, you know, it's like an actor saying, oh, the Academy Awards are all the work. Well, so are movies. Come on. Yes, though. <laughs> that that would always irritate me. But I, I didn't get as much flack as, as you might think. I, I remember after the one year of, uh, I think the second year of the female 50, I was backstage at Shimmer and Awesome Kong came up to me and I had never met her up until that point. Mm -hmm. And she came over and says, uh, you know, doing her Awesome Kong gimmick, basically. She's like, so I hear that you uh, ranked me number four in this year's PWI female 50 or whatever number it was I'm like, yeah, yeah. You know, that's, that's where I did. And all of a sudden she, a big smile came out of her face. She goes, Oh my God, I'm so happy. Thank you. And she gave me a big, smile. Like, totally broke her. Yeah. yeah. So like some people, you know, I don't know. It is, it is what it is. No, I didn't get as many complaints as you would think, but a lot of kind of like backhanded comments and a lot of stuff on Reddit. Yeah. 
So now, do you know who took over for the PWI 500 and stuff? Yeah. Uh, well, I contacted Stu Sachs and told him I wanted to kind of retire from PWI. You know, mm-hmm. I, I felt like I'd been there long enough and I just don't really like what wrestling has kind of become. And I just thought it was time for me, you know, to, to try something else. Um, and Stu says, oh man, your, your timing like couldn't be worse. I'm like, Why? Because I'm going to retire too, and I was kind of thinking like you might, you know, take over for me and whatever. Oh wow! Yeah, and uh, I I sought through until the end of the 2019, I think, uh, female or women's 100, mm-hmm. and that was my last issue. And then about six months later, Stu stepped stepped down, and now another writer, Kevin McIlvaney, has taken over for Stu, and they have a committee of guys who do like the women's 100. So I used to do it all. I think they have four other people who do it now as, as kind of a group. Wow. But they did it last year and I can't, they, they did it. They did it. Kevin is doing things a lot. He's putting his kind of print on, on PWI. Like he included a lot more women in the, the 500. Uh, he did a lot with the women's 100 where I always put a lot of things like if you're in WWE, that kind of gives you a step above a lot of people, but he took like, I think like Natalia, who, who's like a cornerstone of WWE. Mm-hmm. And, and I think she was down like the sixties or seventies. And there were all these like indie girls with only two or three years experience ahead of her. And it's not the way I would have done it. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, they, they kind of changed up their formula a little bit. So, but that's, that's new management. And that could be because you have four other people trying to like pieces together right versus it was just you and like you knew the business you know like all the indies like wwe you know all of that you know that says a lot about you with them having four people doing your one job (laughs) (laughs) well it's like it's like imagine being in a band and you decide to leave the band and you're still friendly with the band and and then you go out and you catch your old band and somebody's replaced you and and you hear them play and you can't help but sit there in the, the crowd and be like, oh, they're doing this wrong. Why are they doing this? Mm-hmm. It, but you have to be able to be like, no, it's it's their band now. I stepped out of the band to so let them do their thing. So. Yeah, completely unrelated. But uh, my husband and I, we're, we're on this like kick of older movies. And we just watched this one called The Rocker. Have you ever heard of it or seen it? Oh, it had, um, didn't it have Dwight from uh, Yes, yes, office? Dwight Schrute. I've seen a little bit of it, but I don't think I've ever seen it beginning. Okay. Well, apparently it got rated really low, but I like stupid movies like that. And plus I like Dwight Schrute. So (laughs) I love the movie and you just pretty much explained it with that whole, like seeing your, you know, the old band and then he has to watch them perform and all that stuff anyway. anyway, I I like my life now looking at PWI. (laughs) So yeah, I can relate. So it was 2019 that you retired? Yeah. From PWI? Yeah. Why does it seem not... That, that wasn't too long ago. Why does it seem like it's been a while? I think no? it's... Well, I mean, the pandemic kind of screws up everything, you know? Like, it, it's just... Uh, the past year has been all kind of a blur for me, you know? I mean, it's it just... You know, all of the events, especially in the wrestling world, all of the, like, cornerstone or benchmarks, you know, like WrestleMania and uh, all the pay-per-views, like they happen, but they're empty arenas or the smaller shows didn't happen. And 
it just i don't know it, it feels like we've been in a time warp for a little while at least that's that's what i think about it but i've tried to stay busy with other stuff so it doesn't seem like it was that long ago to me yeah but like did you you just felt i think you said it already but um the reason why you left you just felt like you needed to try something different yeah well the other thing a couple things uh, to be honest there was uh um well, you know, I, I was dating again. I, I'd been married. I got divorced in 2015. And uh, it was one of these things you're being like in your mid forties and like meeting people while you're dating, you're like, yeah, I traveled the country writing about pro wrestling. It's kind of mm-hmm. like, and, and the people you're dating, you're like, oh, I have kids. And like, we need somebody who's going to be like a dependable, you know, person in the house. Like, no, I hang out with men and women in their underpants, play fighting. Like that's what I did. <laughs> you know? Um, so there was part of me that's like, you know, I just need to change things up. I need to, you know, whatever. But the other thing is wrestling just, I I hate to sound like the old fogey, like the Jim Cornette and everything, but I don't like the current style of wrestling. And I keep trying because I've loved wrestling since I was 10 and I can never completely pull out. I'm, I'm always still following it and watching stuff online. But I remember a couple of years ago watching, uh, WrestleMania and I just remember thinking, man, I never want to watch another WrestleMania because it, it went seven hours, including the pre-show or whatever. And oh, one of the things yeah, I did was, for the magazine, yeah. I used to write an article every year, uh, WrestleMania, the real winners and losers. So for each match, I would say like the match, the result, you know, Seth Rollins by pinfall in 1704 or whatever. So I'm, I'm timing everything. Mm-hmm. Then explain who, so the real winner or the winner was Seth Rollins, the real winner might be because this is where a little bit of analysis comes in the idea being that the magazine doesn't come out to like six weeks after wrestlemania so just having who won or lost doesn't i mean everybody knows that already so by putting a little bit of analysis in there now you're you know making it something that's interesting to read so it's like okay if seth rollins won then the real winner might be dean ambrose because now he's in better position for this title and the real loser might have been roman reigns whatever you know Mm -hmm. so going through the whole show watching it timing everything taking down all the main moves and exchanges and false finishes and then trying to analyze it and see like who is in better position who's in worse position it's like this is it's not fun at all you know any joy that i had with watching wrestling was gone and at that point i thought i can either be the bitter old guy with the magazine kind of crapping on everything or Mm -hmm. i can just kind of step aside and say you know somebody else can take over now is that was it just that wrestlemania that turned you off of wrestling because i know like everybody said everybody didn't like the the whole seven hour thing like it was it is long yeah it's it's ridiculous especially when you have kids and you really want to watch it but you're so dang tired and you you just try to stay up like it's long. That's why last year with the pandemic, I was so glad that they cut it up into two days, which they're doing again this year. But like still um, with the whole women's revolution thing, like did that, are you into that? Like, Oh yeah. I mean, I, I did yeah. the book with Pat LaProd, uh, Sisterhood of the Squared Circle that, that came out in 2017. Um, and for a while, women's wrestling was what really kept me involved with wrestling. Um, I mean, I used to go out to the shimmer shows all the time and, you know, got to know all the, the girls there and everything. And what I really loved is that the women were 
a lot of the guys were just doing high spots and not selling. And it's like, okay, they can flip, they can do the suicide dives. And that's all the matches were. And what I found was a lot of the women at that time, uh, I don't know, maybe 20, 2008, 9, 10, maybe a little bit later, 12, 13. Um, the women weren't doing as many of the flips and dives, but they were doing such a better job of selling. They, they weren't doing everything they could do, but they were doing what they could do very well at the right time. And it was, uh, it, it was a much better, pure wrestling. And I, I argued for a while with a lot of people that at one point, cheerleader Melissa, I thought was the best or pure wrestler in the United States. Mm-hmm. I mean, like male or female, whatever, she was the, the, the cream of the crop. Um, and now I think the women have kind of followed in along the footsteps of the guys. It's a lot of flips and stuff that doesn't make any sense. And a lot of everybody coming out for their entrance and they all have the exact, you know, everyone's got to have their video game friendly choreographed routine you know baby faces come out and they they get the fans like come on cheer for me which a baby face should never ever do like if you're exhorting the fans to cheer for you then you're a bad baby face they should just do that you know but it's become so common now that you can only complain about you know this and this and this and you know it's just kind of like the whole industry decided that psychology was less important than spots and I just kind of got left behind, I think. Hmm. That, that makes sense. Um, I'm remembering now why I thought that you retired from PWI like so long ago. And it's because that you, you've written like a few books now. And it just yes. feels like, yes. and like I forgot you wrote The Sisterhood of Squared Circle a long time ago, I guess not a well, long time ago. You said 20, 2017. Yeah. 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 But like you kept banging out books, it seemed like. So, yeah. so you did that. And then now your latest one, The Wrestlers, Wrestlers. Can you tell me a bit about both books? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Sisterhood of the Squared Circle was, I think we kind of came up with the idea in. Late 2014 or early 2015, it was in Shimmer in Chicago, and Pat Laprade had come up to me. Uh, Pat is a writer out of Montreal, mm-hmm. and uh, he had done uh, the book Mad Dogs, Midgets, and Screwjobs with Bertrand Hebert. <laughs> and it's a great book. It's a history of wrestling in Montreal, very well researched. And uh, we were at Shimmer just hanging out. He and I were, were drinking books. So we, we go to these shows, we hang out, and whatever. He's a really um, nice guy. <laughs> well, you, you know pat uh i've met him yes okay yeah we've we've conversed yeah okay <laughs> i don't know him that well though then you can i can do my pat laprade impression for you. <laughs> that's how he speaks anyway so and i go to the cauliflower alley club reunion every year and pat normally goes and we, you know we're kind of attached to the hip at that and we hang out but he came up to me at this one shimmer show and he says hey i've got an idea i want to do a book on the history of women's pro wrestling and I think that you'd be the perfect person to do it with. You know, what do you think? And I said, well, let me think about it. And I walked away and I always, whenever I go to wrestling shows, I always carry a notebook with me. You know, I always just take notes, uh, just, you know, ideas for columns, somebody who should be in the 500 or women's 100, whatever, cool spots or, or exchanges that I would write down just to kind of remember. And uh, I started writing down like, okay, if I were to do this, what would be the outline? And I put it all together. And, 
after, well, I think cheerleader Melissa came over and said, oh, what are you, what are you working on? I said, I'm thinking uh, Pat LaProd came over. He was thinking about collaborating on a book. And she looked at the outline. She's like, that would be a freaking awesome book. I'm like, all right, mm-hmm. I'm sold. Let's, let's do this. So uh, we, we talked to ECW press and they gave us the green light and we did it. And it, it, you know, it came out right before WrestleMania that year. So I went down to Orlando, did all the shows leading up to it and all the signings and everything. And uh, it was an amazing experience. We, we end the book talking about how will women ever be able to headline WrestleMania? And we thought wow. that we could, as long as Ronda Rousey is involved with it. And two years later, there you go. Like it, wow. I mean, it was perfect. So it came out right at the right time. It, it really kind of captured that wave. And, you know, uh, because we, as we're writing it is when really like the women's give divas a chance and the women's revolution is beginning to happen. And we're like, Oh my mm-hmm. God, it's happening exactly yeah. as, as our book's coming out. Uh, and one of the coolest things ever was at uh, WrestleCon in Orlando. I remember this 12 uh, year old girl came over and so desperately wanted a copy of the book. And, uh, she, her mom said to me, she's like, when she heard that you guys were going to be here, she wanted to go and see you guys first. So Aww. we're at WrestleCon. There are hundreds of wrestlers right around the corner is like Trish Stratus and, and Lita. They were at the table, like adjacent to us we're, you know, there's people everywhere, but this girl had, she ended up doing her book report on our book and Aww. she made like a big poster board thing of sisterhood of the squared circle and took a picture and sent it to me and Pat. And it's the coolest thing in the world to think that like, a book that we wrote about wrestling history meant so much to this like 12 year old girl who's going yeah. through a time in her life, uh, a stage in her life where, you know, you can either be very uh, positive and uplifting and encouraging, or she could take on other messages from the world and, and go the other way. So yeah, yeah it, it felt a little bit more than just a wrestling history book. So that, that made me very happy. Oh, and, and then- the wrestlers wrestlers yeah i had the idea of doing a book on uh, the wrestlers kind of i don't like to use this as a catchphrase because it was david Starr's catchphrase but it in short like your favorite wrestlers favorite wrestlers like the guys that current wrestlers go back at and watch and say wow that guy was good he was smooth and and why and Mm. talking to as many wrestlers as i could about some of these people and like why was this person so good why was uh ray stevens so good or nick bockwinkle or you know uh mm-hmm. really through the 19 well we, we have uh strangler lewis in there from the 20s up until the current modern day so yeah and, and a lot of guys aren't people who got pushed you know like brad armstrong or uh, a william regal or fit finley people like that but they were the guys who anytime they had a match you, you knew that the guys in the back were, were kind of glued to the monitor to see what they would do. I love it. So when, and when did that one come out? That one actually comes out like this week. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, the timing is perfect. Uh, it comes out officially like April 20th or so. Uh, but the publisher, cause with COVID and the printers and everything, everything's kind of up in the air. Uh, they got back to me and said that they just got issues in last week and they're being sent out to me. So by the time this airs, I'll probably have uh, copies here and it'll probably be available uh, on Amazon any day now. Amazing. So is yeah. there like an Amazon address or just search for? Just look for the wrestlers, wrestlers on Amazon, or you can go to, uh, if you're in Canada too, uh, ECW Press. 
Uh, their website, you can order direct from that. They're, and they're based in Toronto, which is why I mentioned oh, that. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you can go to ecwpress.com or .ca uh, or Amazon, and you can pretty much find it anywhere. Amazing. And can people also still order the Sisterhood of the Squared Circle? Oh, yeah. I, I would be very happy if they did. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing, yes, that, Amazon? Yeah, that is available everywhere. Yep. Awesome. And then you also wrote a non-wrestling book. Yeah. Uh, again, the idea of wanting to try something different, um, you know, after writing about wrestling for so long. Um, so I tried writing. It, it can be called a horror book, but it's not really terrifying. The idea is a little bit creepy, I guess. Uh, but the idea is that it's called The Thing in the River and uh, came out in about November of last year. So it's been out Wait, a few months. Am I going to get nightmares from you, this? You might. You might. Oh, no, only if you're Mark. Here. <laughs> Here's, here's what I mean by that. The, the concept of this is that there is, or may or may not be, it may be just one person who's a little bit nutty, but he believes that there's a thing that's in the Niagara River, not really an animal, but some kind of entity that's in the Niagara River that is responsible for everyone who's committed suicide in the river. Basically, it reaches out to them mentally, telepathically through dreams and convinces the people who jump over Niagara Falls, who drown themselves in the river and uh, throughout human history. And this guy had had a brush with this thing as a kid in a kayaking accident. He survived, but it took his sister. And all his life, he's been having nightmares, literally every night, compelling him to go to the river. And it, it's all about his kind of alcoholism and how, which he's developed as almost a coping mechanism. Mm -hmm. Um until he finds out this other woman has just seen the thing and he believes that she's going to begin having the nightmares too. So he needs to kind of pull himself out of his funk and, and try to help her before she becomes the next victim. So wow. it's this idea of, of kind of a monster um, in a relationship, but, and we were talking, honestly, we were talking a little bit about this before we started taping. Uh, it's about somebody kind of pulling themselves out of their own funk and uh, just really kind of, um, stepping up and, and trying to become human again. Wow. And, uh, so it can be looked at as a, a story about depression. Or it can be looked at uh, about maybe, I don't know, a variety of things like that. Uh, but it's all framed with the, the idea of kind of like a traditional horror story based on the Niagara River. That's, uh, uh, that's amazing. I'm, I'm not for horror anything, but I'm, I'm into that. I'm into, will, I'm into your I will book. Gladly send you a copy. Will you actually? I actually will. Absolutely. Ooh, got hooked <laughs> up. <laughs> there you go. See, this is the thing. When you, sometimes when you're a famous podcaster, you get free stuff. Oh, famous. Come on. <laughs> yeah, come on. Um, you also mentioned the Cauliflower Alley Club. Yes. You guys meet up in Vegas every year, and it's usually, I think, around April ish. Yeah, April? it has been. Yep. Traditionally, everything's a little bit screwed up with uh, COVID yes. now. Yes. But uh, yeah, the Cauliflower Alley Club, it dates back. I forget exactly when. It, well, we just had the 50th reunion a couple of years ago. So about 52, 53 years. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, it was this benevolent association for uh, pro wrestlers and stuntmen and some actors and a couple boxers. And it, it's become really just pro wrestling now. Uh, occasionally, we'll get some actors who pop in and things like that and stuntmen, but mostly just wrestlers. And the idea is to raise money for 
you know, a lot of workers for so long never had any kind of health insurance or benefits, and they've been bumping for 30 or 40 years and their bodies are just broken. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, people like Kamala, uh, Brickhouse Brown, a few others, uh, traditionally, um, they don't, for the longest time, the CAC didn't really uh, advertise who the money went to uh, because, you know, they wanted the, the people to keep their pride. A lot of wrestlers don't want to, you know, people to know that they're kind of down and, and, you know, broken and, you know, things have happened. Right. Yeah. Uh, but things have opened up a little bit now where a lot of wrestlers are talking about receiving money from CAC and how it's helped them with chemotherapy and bills and avoid foreclosure and things like that. Oh, so it's, wow. it's really a great organization and it's a great time. Uh, you get together for a week in, in Vegas every year. Uh, we all get to hang out and see each other. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then, you know, have the fundraiser, the big dinner, the banquet. So it's nice. Nice. I'll, I'll tell you Are this. You- one, one of the coolest things that I've been able to do at CAC, I, two, two things quickly. Um, one is, and we would do this every year. Uh, a group of us would get together. Some of the writers, Pat LaProd and I, and Greg Oliver from, from slam wrestling and some others, there was a back sports bar at the gold coast hotel and casino where we had the event. We'd get in back and one table, it would be me and Pat and Greg would normally be there and Pat Patterson and Jerry Briscoe. And we would just hang out and Patterson would smoke and we'd sit there and other people would float in and Patterson and Briscoe would just tell stories. And then in comes Paul Orndorff and he begins telling stories and in comes Mean Gene Okerlund and, and uh, in comes B. Brian Blair of the Killer Bees. And people just kind of float in and, and like JJ Dillon comes in and starts talking about the four horsemen. And it's not like a fan fest. It's not anything like that. It's, it's, it's just a matter of people who love the business who are all there and, and are having a good time and kind of ball busting and everything. And, mm-hmm. you know, but it, it being able to, Oh, and, and Jim Ross, like he would always be there. So like just being able to go and hang out with those guys, you know, for a few hours and, and stuff and, you know, whatever, every year it's, it's a blast. I mean, if you're a wrestling fan uh, and it is open to fans, I mean, you may not necessarily be able to kind of, you know, get a, a seat right next to Jim Ross, if you're a, a fan off the street, but you might, you know, if, if you play your cards right and you don't completely <laughs> mark out, you, you can, um, but it's just a great way for people to kind of visit and, and just keep these old stories alive. Give us a story. The other one. Well, this is, I don't want to tell them their story. No, I will tell, I will tell one of their stories. This is one Pat Patterson told this, and I think he said it in a few other places. And this may be, I don't know how, are you, are you, what are you PG rated? Are you R rated? What's your, your rating? You be yourself. Okay. Basically Pat Patterson would always, he would be the first one to make gay jokes about himself. And, you know, so, one year during the reunion, uh, I think it was Terry Funk was trying to read an award and said, you know, Pat, Pat Patterson, I can't read this. Give me your, give me your cheaters. And Patterson stands up to give him his glasses and goes, I'll give them to you, but they're a little cockeyed. You know, just, oh my you know, God. <laughs> like, which is Pat. That's just how he was. But uh, Pat told a story where he was in the AWA and he was traveling with, I think the high flyers, uh, Jim Brunzel and Greg Gagne. And somebody had talked to Brunzel and Ganya and really kind of just put it in their ear that, you know, Pat, you know, Pat Patterson's gay and he's going to be rooming with you. Are you guys worried about that? Like, well, no, why, why would we be worried? 
like oh he's really aggressively gay like you you know watch out watch out and pat knew that they were doing this so um pat one night just stood over uh jim brundell as he was sleeping and i forget oh if he said it or not but he just waited until brundell opened his eyes and pat's just standing like looming over him he's like good morning angel eyes <laughs> just, oh my like, gosh <laughs> And, and Brunzel didn't want to like be rude. He's like, good morning to you. <laughs> so he, he, they would just tell these dumb little stories, you know, and it, it's just, it's just fun. You know, stories about, uh, well, I forget who it was. Somebody, uh, Mad Dog Vachon opening up a door in a flying airplane somewhere in Minneapolis and oh my almost gosh. getting sucked out and crazy stuff like that. Holy and cow. One other year at, at CAC, uh, it was the year that uh, Io Cherie, and Mayu Awatani and Kyrie Hojo, who became Kyrie Sane in WWE, they'd mm. come in to work um, Lucha Underground. And they were, cheerleader Melissa was kind of their, their handler, for lack of a better term. And mm-hmm. the event ends, and it's like midnight, and it turns out the Japanese girls and, um, oh, I forget his name, uh, Rossi Ogawa, were flying back to Japan the next morning at 6 a.m., I was flying back to Buffalo at 6 a.m. And the girls didn't want to like go to bed. I might as well just stay up all night at this point. It's like 11 and, you know, we're in the flights in seven hours. So Melissa is talking to me and she's like, I need to do something to like entertain these girls for like, you know, seven hours. She's like, what do you, you know, I was thinking about taking to a high roller, the big kind of Ferris wheel thing that was in Vegas. Okay. She's like, do you, do you want to come? I'm like, yeah. Okay. So we go to the high roller and it's, you know, it kills about an hour and we still have all this time and we're walking up and down the strip, trying to find something that these three Japanese girls who speak very little English will, will like. Um, they did pop when I, I pointed out Caesar's palace and I said like, you know, the hangover and they all saw it. And then uh, Mayu was pointing at me and she's like, you, you, she thought I looked like Zach Galifianakis. Oh. And like, yeah. The hangover me. That's right. The beard and the fat guy. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but as we're walking um you comes up well you know actually i don't want to say which one comes up uh, one of the three comes up to me and says uh uh how you say strip club like, Whoa. and you just and, said eo no no it wasn't EO because eo <laughs> said the second part eo said the second part. oh okay one of them came up and said it and then they all kind of uh uh, Melissa kind of laughs and she goes like men or women and they all kind of step to the side and huddle up and then they come back and this were EO and EO like having taken the consensus from the huddle she's like women like all right here we go <laughs> and we ended up uh going to the godfather's club and like the girl like and the girls like lo- they loved it it was it was funny it, it was one of the most surreal things I'm sitting there at, in the, the the cheetah club and like with three like legendary Japanese pro wrestlers and cheerleader Melissa and hang out. And there's, you know, they're this, the Godfather wasn't there that night, but the staff is giving them all eight by tens and they're all bowing and there's naked women everywhere. <laughs> Man, Cauliflower Alley club is the best. This is a great time. That's great. Yeah, oh it was, my gosh. It was a good night out. <laughs> well, I mean, Vegas. Okay. So every year do you do, would you say you do something crazy just because it is in Vegas? Uh, no, not, I mean, I've been to Vegas so many times now where there, there's not a lot of crazy stuff left to do anymore. I don't know, mm-hmm. it's, but I, they wanted to do something wild and crazy because they were young and coming to America for the first time. So yeah, 
Yeah. And I mean, who, I don't who am I to say no? Well, yeah. I mean, I don't blame them. They see Vegas in movies and stuff, right? So exactly. Yeah. Hell yeah. Do it up. Yeah. <laughs> let's take a break and let's play a little game. Okay. Uh, this is called this or that. Very simple. You're just going to choose either or. Okay. Would you rather be on a reality TV show or on a game show? Game show. And what game show? Ooh. Uh, Wheel of Fortune. Wheel of Fortune. Yeah, that's I a would good. Go, yeah, that's a well, good. I'd classic. go Jeopardy, but I, I feel like I'd lock up. And even if you know, I can watch Jeopardy at home and know a lot of the answers watching. But I feel like I'd get stage fright and I would just Cliff Clavin it and bomb out. But I, I think I could figure out enough with uh, Wheel of Fortune where I could, you know, not humiliate myself. Dang, you're a smart cookie, eh? Jeopardy? Uh, I wouldn't even touch Jeopardy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but if, if you do well on that, then, you know, you're forever known as the one who did well on Jeopardy. Yeah, that's, if you're going to fail, fail. True, yes. <laughs> okay, I don't know if you're into junk food or not. I'm writing these questions down. I'm like, I can't remember if I ever see you eat junk food anyway the question is would you give up junk food or give up beer oh i'd give up junk food in the heart <laughs> that one was too easy eh? yeah yeah i I, uh, I do enjoy having having a few beers <laughs> um asking questions or answering questions it's a good one uh asking questions because i think that most people um, inherently, I, I find people interesting. And uh, I think that if you ask the right, right questions of almost anyone, you can learn something. Yes. So I always like to learn something and, and just, you know, hear something different. And I can answer questions and just give the same answers all the time. Or I can ask questions and I can learn something from everyone I talk to. See, Dan, this is why I told you before we started recording that you can just take over my podcast. If you like. <laughs> You're doing a fantastic job. <laughs> Thank you. Um, okay. A fire pit or fireplace? Ooh, this is good because I, I do both. Um, I'm going to go fireplace. Uh, it's, it's a controversial pick, I think, but no. Uh, I controversial. Just, yeah, I think it's controversial. <laughs> like fire, you know, get, get a Twitter will fire right up over this. Dan Murphy prefers fireplaces <laughs> to uh, fireplaces. Uh, no, I, I bought a new house back uh, last spring. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the first things I did was get the, you know, the chimney all uh, rebuilt and, and swept out and invested between the, the new flu and everything else, probably $1,500 just so I could have, you know, fires in the fireplace during the winter. Yeah. And uh, I tried to have one, you know, as often as I could. So I kind of like being able to sit by a, a fireplace in the wintertime. Nice. Now, do you have, like, do you need real wood or is it the gas fireplace? No, real wood. Yeah. Oh, that's wood nice. Yeah, that's fantastic. See, the only thing, like, I would, I would choose fireplace and I have one, but like mosquitoes hate me. No, I'm sorry. They love me. So gotcha. anytime I'm outside and I'd love, I would love to, be outside with the fire pit but the freaking mosquitoes just are a-holes and the other thing and... with the fire pit is no matter where you sit 
the smoke always blows in your face. Like you can move <laughs> in any direction and the smoke will follow you. That's true. Yes. <laughs> Last one, earthquake or tornado? Tornado. Um, earthquake has, you know, there was a movie I saw as a kid. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was even a TV show, but it was like one of those 70s depictions of earthquakes. And it was really bad special effects and everything, but it's where like the ground just opens up and people fall into this chasm and like, and like it traumatized me. Like the idea that the ground would just open and everybody yeah. falls in, which yeah. isn't at all what an earthquake's really like, but still, you know, a, a tornado, you, you can kind of duck and cover and, and stay in doorways or something and you'll be fine. But what if you get like swept up into it? Then you can fly, which is like awesome for a little bit, right? Oh my god! <laughs> oh, I don't know what I'd choose. Um, when I was living in California, you'd feel like little earthquakes here and there. So, but then now I'm thinking about the freaking ground opening up. Yeah, I, I remember like because like the ground opened. Maybe it was even like an old Superman movie or something, like the, the first one from '78 or '81, whatever. But like people sliding down a road into this chasm and dropping in and you just see like boiling magma down there and like, uh, yeah which yeah. isn't at all what earthquakes are but in my head that's what they are you used to have a one beer with series yes yes i did and i believe i, I think correct me if i'm wrong i was your first guest yes i or believe no? you were the no, I think you were the first. I think yeah. you were the first guest. Yeah. Yeah. How like did you how long did you do that for? So your thing was we, you know, you'd have a beer, just like the title. Yeah. <laughs> you'd have a beer with a guest and just catch up. Yeah, I, I thought it was a really neat thing. I thought the idea being that the the interview, whatever it is, would go no set amount of time, but just the amount of time it takes to have a beer with somebody. Mm-hmm. And two people just sitting down and having a beer and putting the camera on and not really editing it, just letting it be, this is two people having a beer together. And the idea yeah. was, and, and I did it maybe 10 episodes or so. And I thought it was cool because I just wanted to talk to people I found to be interesting, uh, whether they were in wrestling or not, or from whatever walk of life. And it, it was, it actually did kind of really get over um, the wrestling ones did. Uh, the non-wrestling ones not as much but then mm-hmm. what really i kind of noticed was it was the wrestling ones with like attractive women and i'm like no. i just want to see like they don't care about the gimmick <laughs> like, they, they just want to see the, the pretty girls on youtube and i'm like uh it's not drinking it's beer not really, yeah it's not really <laughs> getting over the way i thought but um yeah so i, I did a, did it for a little bit and then just kind of let it fade out but it was yeah. a lot of fun. And I really enjoyed doing the one with you up in uh, Toronto there. Yes. I mean, let me tell you, I'm terrible with talking, even though like now I have a podcast, but like <laughs> the beer helped. I'll tell you that. Yeah. It so always that, that's does. a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's yeah. shoot to another game. This one's called rapid fire. I'm going to say a simple move. And then the first wrestler that pops into your head, you just okay. say out. All right. The first one is drop kick. Jim Brunzel. Now, I'm pretty sure we're going to hear a lot of old school wrestlers here, yeah? <laughs> no, not necessarily, but I'll think of the ones who I think do it the best. I mean, maybe you can go with Rocky Johnson or whatever, but I, I, Jim Brunzel is, is the guy that comes to my mind. 
Okay. Uh, super kick. Chris Adams. So yeah, I guess we are doing. <laughs> <laughs> Choke slam. I'll, I'll, well, first one that came to mind was Kane. So good. There you go. Yeah. DDT. Jake Roberts. Mm-hmm. Now I had neck breaker on here, Honky but oh, shit. <laughs> but you could do Rick Rude. You know, it depends if you Wait. prefer the Rude Awakening, the shake, rattle, and roll. Okay, so I was just going to explain how I took Neckbreaker out because everyone had a tough time thinking of a wrestler because it's used a lot and, you know, it's not looked at as a big move anymore. Yeah, it's not a finisher. So, of course, of course, when I'm trying to explain it, saying, well, I'm not going to say Neckbreaker today, and then you just, boom, you just give me two wrestlers (laughs) right off the bat. See, this is why... The Russian assassin with a guillotine <laughs> neck break. There's a few that I had like on standby, but I'll just go with the, the top two. Oh, there you go. I, let's see. Let's see. Moon salts. Great Muda. Still the best, I think. I mean, it just Ooh. so fluid when he was in his prime and so beautiful. And he was the one who popularized it. Oh, was he really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, Muda I didn't know that. Who, he was the one who started doing it in, uh, I, I think he was doing it, I think he could do it in world class, if I'm not mistaken, but he was a heel, and he was brought in on like a talent swap with Japan, and Gary Hart uh, told him, no, we can't have you doing that move. Uh, he might have done it at like a couple house shows or whatever, but he's basically, Gary Hart, who was his manager, was saying, you know, that's a baby face move, and we cannot have a heel do that move. Like, save the high flying for the Von Erics, you know, put them over. You know, you stick with thrust kicks and, and strikes. You can do the handspring elbow, but not the, the moonsault. Mm. But it wasn't until he got to uh, WCW in 89, uh, the end, well, Jim Crockett promotions, technically. Uh, but that's when he started doing it. And uh, yeah, sure enough, he, he did get over as, as a, a baby face. But before they officially switched him, he left. So, oh, wow. Yeah, he, he was convinced that uh, it was going to kill his career if he became a good guy in America. Uh, so when the fans were really beginning to kind of clamor for him and, and you know, he had that kind of that, that fan swell of uh, support, uh, he ended up kind of leaving, going back to Japan. He didn't want to be a baby face, at least according to the, the Gary Hart book. Oh, I mean, I don't know, like he's good as baby, like he just didn't want to. Well, I guess you wouldn't know, but like he, he was, didn't he want was to be convinced face? by, yeah, he was convinced by management and particularly Gary Hart, who now Gary Hart was also managing him. And you could say Gary Hart was just being uh, greedy because if Muda was a baby face, then he wouldn't need a manager. And Gary right. Hart was such a heel that you would never have a baby face with Gary Hart. Mm. Um, but Gary Hart was in his ear and, and told him, you know, it's a bad move for business. You're, you're really good as the villain. You know, you don't want to do that. And uh, he, he agreed. Oh, it didn't I help see. that Jim Crockett Promotions, they, they did Starcade 1990, I think. They did this idea of an Ironman round robin tournament, uh, four singles guys and four tag teams. And Muda jobbed up four times in one night. And up until that point, he had been super protected. Uh, but he jobbed to um, Sting, Ric Flair, and Lex Luger all in one night. And between, I guess Jim Crockett Promotions wanted to make that the beginning of his babyface turn where he kind of got screwed a couple times. He felt like his management was bad. And uh, instead, he just went back to Japan. Oh, wow. 
Yeah. Uh, Powerbomb. Vader. Nice. Yes. And then my last one that I was going to switch out for the neck breaker, okay. German suplex. Uh, I guess because it's the first one I thought of, I want to come up with something better. I want to, <laughs> but no, I'll, I'll just do, uh, I'll just do Chris Benoit. He's the first one that came to mind with that. Nice. But I just nice. love his, his explosiveness and his hips, basically. Like he just popped people with such power and threw the hips up and bridged so well. And he, mm-hmm. he really did such a great job with that move. And he snapped with it too. Yeah, exactly. And that all comes yeah. from the hips, you know, hips and knees. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's talk about the Dan Murphy now. Yeah. You're working out, but not like. <laughs> Not like normal working out. You're like yeah. doing crazy ass training. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, to some. Yeah, it is. Uh, um, yeah, I. We're we're talking about like kegs. We're talking about like what it what is it? Um, the poles that you're doing the dog sled things. Oh yeah, yeah. What is doing that? The, the sled poles. Uh, yeah. Car lift. Uh, I mean, which isn't a car, but it's, it's called a car lift. Uh, Atlas stones. Um, basically a couple years ago, um, I began dating this girl who I live with now and I love her very much. Um, but she and her family do, um, Scottish festivals, uh, and they have a, a tent, these the Scottish kind of heritage festivals. Uh, if you're part of a Scottish clan, uh, an old family, you know, that, that dates back, they, the clans have little tents where they have some history and everything else. So people can go to the festival you can see, oh, that's my family name. Like I can learn a little bit about what our tartan is and, and where my family came from and whatever. Wow. So she would do this with her parents. And, you know, I'm, I'm, my, I'm, I'm second generation Irish on both sides. Um, but, I'm, you know, I, I love Ireland and, and everything kind of Celtic it resonates with me because it, it's close to my background. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I would go to these festivals with her and kind of help out her and her family in the tent. But they also had the, the Highland Games athletes who were over on the side. And the Highland Games are, are nine events at these, uh, typically nine events, um, where it's all throwing. It's just basically throwing heavy stuff. Uh, stone mm-hmm. throws, weights, weight over bar. The most famous thing is the caber toss where they pick up like, it looks like a phone pole, telephone pole, and you run with it and you kind of chuck it up in the air. And, and yeah, flip yeah. It. And uh I started hanging out with those guys and uh, they talked me into it and I started doing the Highland games. Uh, so yeah. That's so freaking cool. <laughs> right. So, you know, I'm out in a kilt every once in a while doing in, again, COVID kind of wreaked havoc with the schedule last year. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so I've been, I'm training with a group of the guys and to, to train for the games. We do a lot of kind of strong man, unorthodox style training uh, real heavyweight, real explosive movements, the kind of stuff mm-hmm. that when you're in your mid forties, you probably shouldn't be doing like, <laughs> you know, hundreds That's of pounds like... and just kind of lift with your back and, you know, but it's, uh, it's pretty awesome and it's, it's difficult, but it's cool to, to kind of just challenge yourself all the time and, and be yes. able to do something and then be like, yeah, I, I did that. So yes. it's been fun. Like, I remember the first year you did it. Um, I want to remember a video you posted. Was it like shot put or something or like something you it, spun around and threw something with that ball, the iron yeah, ball? There's 
a few that it could be because they're all kind of like that. There, there's two stone throws uh, that are like shot put. Uh, there's two where you spin around holding a, a weight on a chain, a heavy weight for distance and light weight for distance. Mm-hmm. And there's the hammer throw. And that's like a, a three, three foot long shaft with the hammer head on it. And you spin around three times and you chuck that over your shoulder. So yeah, it could have been any one of those. I was just like, whoa, like just going into that. And you, like you said, you know, you're older. So going into this, I call you strongman now <laughs> going into this. I'm just like, wow, good for you. Like that stuff is cool as hell. And I'm sure challenging. Yeah, it, it definitely challenging. Yeah. Like, it, but you know, it, it, it's just a weird thing. Uh, I mean, I wrestled in high school. I played rugby in college. Um, and, and then I hung around with wrestlers and, and even, I mean, I did wrestle for a little bit. Um, when I was booking Empire State Wrestling in Buffalo, you know, I, I kind of decided um, they'd asked me to book. Uh, I was a writer. I'm in the area. It's my local promotion. And they asked me to kind of come in and, and, and book the, the shows, which I did for a couple of years. And I decided that I wanted to train with the guys. And, and the idea being, number one, I'm not going to ask anyone to take a bump that I don't know how to take. And mm-hmm. number two, if I'm going to write about wrestling, I should really learn how it's done. Um, so I trained a lot. And uh, we had Beth Phoenix at that time before she went to OVW. So she mm-hmm. was kind of one of the trainers. And then people you would know from, from Ontario, like uh, Cody Diener, Cody Steele, uh, Danger Boy Derek Wilde came down a few times, the all-nighters. But anyway, so I, I put on a mask and I just did job duty. You know, whenever mm-hmm. we needed a body to, to, to get beat, I, I was grappler X, you know, just generic job guy. So like I, I've always kind of done physical stuff. But once I got out of wrestling and not being in the locker room anymore, hanging out with the Highland game athletes kind of filled that void because it's the exact same thing. It's the same kind of ball busting and, and it, it feels like hanging out with the boys and you, you find so many wrestlers and, and, and people like yourself, probably I'm sure that you went through this after you got out of the business, just missing that atmosphere. Oh yeah. Um, and and it, it's hard, you know, especially if you've done it for a long time, it, it's hard to replace. And then I just kind of found this group of guys who we get together and wear kilts and throw heavy stuff and drink a lot of beer. <laughs> so it, it, it worked out really well. I love it. I love it. So you've done, is it two of the Highland games or is it just no, the I've one? done, I've done, I think four events so far. Oh my gosh. Okay. Last year was uh, abbreviated. I'm hoping to do five this season. I mean, I know there are some guys who do it every week and, they do stuff year round. I just kind of do it during the summer and, and want to try to get five games. Out. Oh, wow. It, Maybe I'm not paying attention. I'm a terrible friend, <laughs> but I, I had no clue. It was like, it could be a weekly thing. I just thought it was like a yearly thing where like everybody gets together and you just like train hard for this, just this one full day of events. But it's there not are, that <laughs> yeah some are bigger events and some are smaller and everything but yeah we so you do train for the big ones but we you know it, it there are a few throughout the year and again they're normally with the celtic festivals the scottish festivals and things like that and a lot of those still haven't reopened with covid uh so sometimes they're doing standalone games uh if you know the 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 rules are such that we can all still gather and you know 
so everything's kind of up in the air but the, the plan is to try to get five and again it's nine events and uh it's just it's grueling because it's in the summer and all mm-hmm. of us are i mean people are all different nationalities who, who do this but a lot of us are irish or scottish and we don't do well in the sun so we, we sunburn all <laughs> oh no oh no <laughs> Because you stand out in these these fields for you know like wide open fields so you can throw heavy stuff far with no shade, and then you know you're out in the sun in August for like nine hours and then (laughs) and we're all in our forties and fifties and drinking beer and fat to begin with. (laughs) It's a recipe for disaster. So, what's your favorite game? Uh, my favorite with the Highland Games, I I love the hammer throws. Um, Hammer throw. Yeah. What I found, and this is kind of neat with, with both the, the strongman and, and, and doing the Highland Games, I'm not the strongest guy at all. Um, but there's certain things that I can do that some guys who are a lot stronger than me can't do, and, and certain things they can do that I can't do. It's just kind of all um, technique and where your center of gravity is and everything else. And, and one of the really cool things about this is you can have a group of five or six guys and be like, okay, you know, I, there this guy may be better than everyone else at these this one event but this guy is better at this and this guy is better at this and i'm better at this we it all kind of balances out um so i find that i can do hammer pretty well um and when we're doing the strongman we were pulling a sled with a harness on a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. and we had 500 pounds on it and some of the guys really one of the guys who's a big muscle man uh looks like a pro wrestler he, he was the first guy and he was bouncing around and he said this, he looked like Stuart from mad TV. You remember Stuart? Like when yes, like his mom no. held him on like a leash. Yeah. Don't. And he was like bouncing. Oh, I can't. <laughs> like that's what he looked like to try to get started. Cause he's bouncing around. He's not moving the sled. Until, oh my you know, gosh. And he eventually got it moving. And once you get it moving, it's a little bit easier. Mm. Uh, and he can kick my towel and all the events and most of the lifting. But then I did the 500 pound sled and, and I just had, I guess, a lower center of gravity. I got down and I, I kind of made it look easy. Um, and that's cool. Like there, it's cool that, you know, different body types, different strengths, uh, everybody can do something a little bit different. So it, it keeps it fun, I guess. What about the, what's the one, the big giant ball that the one that you train for with the keg, what's that, the ball thing, what's There's that called the, again? Uh, Atlas stone. The Atlas Stone, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Do you hate the Atlas Stone? I did, um, but I, I've come to like it a little bit more. Uh, although it's easy to say I like it right now, the day I have to go and do it, and I'm looking at it, I'm like, oh, I don't, <laughs> I don't like this at all. Um, but it's just a big round cement stone. Um, I, the one I do, I normally do the 175 pound one you just kind of squat down, you get your fingers underneath it. It's tough because it's smooth. There's nothing to really grip, but you have to kind of pop it up to get your fingers underneath it, hoist it up to your knees and then roll it back kind of into your lap, have your arms underneath it and then stand up and set it on a shelf. So it's kind of a matter of just getting that initial pop and then rolling this big ball up your body. So you can, you know, put it up like head level. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then it's different. Um... Like it, sometimes I remember trying to do it and then feeling like a sharp pain in like my high abs, like a, a stomach cramp. And then just like, okay, I can either just step away from this thing and think this is stupid. I shouldn't be trying to lift up this, this ball. 
or just stand up, take a deep breath, like wait for the, the pain to go away, you know, give it a three, five seconds and then go down for another attempt. And then it, it then it, you do it. And then you just feel so amazing that you were able to actually make it work, you know, Damn. And then you have to do it, do it three more times, but still it's, it's, it always feels good once you get it moving. Damn. You're crazy. I love it. <laughs> it's bad form for a podcast host to call the guest crazy. You, you should know that. Oh, sorry. You're crazy as shit. Holy cow. <laughs> We're deleting this episode. You're a madman. Okay. So before we end the show, I would love to play my very last game, my third game, Survivor Series game. You're going to choose four other wrestlers that you'd have on Grappler X's squad. Whoa. All right. That's interesting. And we don't know who our opponents are then, right? I can't. No, no. We just. Matchups. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> no, you can't use your PWI skills for this. <laughs> right. They're the real winners and losers. Let's get the right <laughs> matchups here. Um and is this of all time or is this current guys or of all time that you think would mesh really well with grappler X? Well, I have to start with, uh, the walking weapon, Josh Alexander. Oh, damn. <laughs> oh, damn. Look out. We need a team captain. Come on. I think you'd be the <laughs> right guy for it. So that's one right there. I love it. Um, on top, and are, are we doing five man teams or four? You're the fifth. Well, you're okay. the fifth. Right, yeah. So- we got two right there. All right. Yeah. Then uh, just to round things out, uh, Andre the Giant. Wow. Um, yes. Brock Lesnar and Kurt Angle. Oh my gosh. You're just because like. I think that that <laughs> they work with the style of Grappler X better than anyone else. I think. I think Grappler X fits right with those four guys. You know what? I could <laughs> tell you my husband approves of this team. There we go. Yeah. I mean, well, who's going to stop us? <laughs> I love it so much. Perfect. Well, Dan, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for telling me like your PWI story blew me away. I love hearing about your strongman stuff, your Highland game stuff. I can't wait to see more. Now, are you able to record? Is this, is this something like your girlfriend's able to record that you can post on Facebook and stuff? The Highland Games and everything? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And in, in fact, one of the guys, uh, he, we kind of tease him a little bit. Uh, he's, he's put together like, uh, you know, he's a, he's a monster, um, but he shows up and he brings all of his own lighting and everything else and his selfie stick, you know, so when, when he's lifting and throwing, he's got the perfect pictures, but, uh, wow. so, okay, you know, Captain Instagram. All right, fine. But no. <laughs> Uh, he he takes pictures of our stuff too, so yeah, I can I can definitely uh, post and, and send some stuff as as the game. Because I love, yeah, I think it's so cool. That's freaking dope. You gotta, um, do you, you gotta have to you know you reinvent yourself, you know, try yeah. something new, and if you don't, then you're just you know you're, you're dying. Exactly why I have this podcast, <laughs> and and that's what I wanted to say before you kind of sign off and, and give me the boot. Um, I, I'm so happy. <laughs> no, really, I'm so happy that you're doing this because. I meant what I said at the, you know, years ago when we met in Michigan and at the beginning of the show, I think that you had such a head for the wrestling business and you had such a great run in ring of honor. And it's a shame that it wasn't nationally televised at that time. And and then you got out of it, but you're, you're doing something else and you're not just fading away. You're, you're still 
reinventing yourself and you're still doing other things. And some of the posts you've been posting lately, um, you know, it, it looks like you're in a very happy, good place. And I'm, I'm so happy to see that. And I, I'm so happy that you're doing this podcast and still staying active in, in, in the wrestling world and just yeah. in, in public in general. Thanks so much, Dan. That, that It truly means the world to me. Just, just listening to that, <laughs> you know, you, you miss the business. Um, I don't want to say like, you know, I'm trying to stay relevant. I just, I love the business that much that I want to keep talking about it. The couple years, I think it was like six years that I took a break from those six years that I didn't have wrestling. It just, it was empty. Like I did other things that did make me happy, but obviously in the end, wrestling came back to me. So it was that point where I knew that, okay, wrestling's never going to leave me again. Like that can't happen because it makes me happy. So thank you so much. That truly means it, it means a lot. Like you, you don't understand. You're going to make me cry. <laughs> that was the plan. That's what no. every, every <laughs> guest should do is make the host cry. That's always the perfect way to end no. up. <laughs> do you have uh, socials that everyone can find you on? You know, I, I don't really do Twitter. I don't really do Instagram. I'm on Facebook. That's about it. Um, and my books, if you're interested, The Sisterhood of the Squared Circle, The Wrestler's Wrestler, which comes out this week, and uh, The Thing in the River, they're all available on Amazon as well. So, you know, if, uh, if your fans or your listeners are wrestling fans, please check those out. Or if you just want to read a scary story about a potential monster and a person overcoming depression, you yes. can check out uh, the thing in the river. And just a reminder, by the time this episode airs, the wrestlers wrestlers will be available. So right. go ahead, get to Amazon and order your copy. Dan, thanks again so much. Loved, loved, loved chatting with you. Man, I hope this border thing gets like resolved where where people can start crossing again. Cause well, I, I don't get to cross much, but hopefully, hopefully, maybe you and Tara can come on over to Toronto. I'd love to have you guys over just to catch up and to meet her, just because I know you're a good person and you totally deserve her. Oh, so okay. I hope well, one we, day to actually like, you know, we have to, because I got to get up there with Josh and start training for the survivor series. We got to work on our hot tags. we got spots. We got to work out. There you go. Andre's not going to listen to us. We got to figure no. it out ourselves. You're wild. <laughs> Dan, thanks again. Until then guys, see you next Tuesday.